Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey. Today we're going to be talking with Sam Stagegall from The Athletic. He has a career that spans from 442 to MLSsoccer.com and writes about U.S. soccer issues. This past week, he came up with an article sweeping around the USL community, both the championship and League One, talking about MLS two teams being forced into USL League One. This has created a firestorm in social media, both good and bad. Big push now for pro-rel among many of those people. Sam, thanks for coming on League One Fun. Uh, We'll consider this a continuation of the discussion Sam had with Phil Grooms on the USL show that was posted on Saturday, July 20th. So, Sam, thanks very much for coming on. Within USL circles, your story has gone viral in many respects. So there's been a lot of people with a lot of opinions. There's been over 70 comments on The Athletic already about this article on MLS two teams coming down to League One. Are you surprised maybe by the reaction that you've gotten about this story? Uh, no, I think uh, I think how American soccer is organized is, is always a pretty hot topic that drives a lot of discussion. Um, you know, in many ways, it's like MLS and USL and the Federation are all kind of working to figure out how to best piece this puzzle together. Um, and so I think stories um, involving those discussions, involving, I guess, the working to put that puzzle together, they always tend to do well. Everyone's got different ideas. Uh, There are a lot of emotions at play in some cases. And so, you know, pieces like this uh, tend to drive discussion, certainly, um, and and drive interest with a lot of people chiming in ideas. So so not too surprised that that it's uh, resonated how it has. So this dropped uh, just the day before another story that you did about MLS clubs talking about selling in the summer window and, and... What's the process at The Athletic for generating these ideas and generating these stories? Um, so it's pretty standard um, just in terms of, you know, uh, how a normal newsroom might work, even though we're not exactly a normal newsroom since, you know, we don't have a physical location. <laughs> we're spread out across the country in terms of reporters and editors. But uh, it's basically, you know, if something if something kind of grabs you, um, you know, you run it past your editor and, and if if he likes it, then, then you go pursue it. Or, or maybe someone else comes up with the idea and kind of works that same process, but it's a, it's a collaborative effort. Um, a lot of it, it just comes from various discussions that I and my colleagues have with, with each other and with various sources around the league. So we might get a tip, um, and it might report on it more and, and it might lead to a bigger story or it might not in this case it did. And, uh, you know, I was able to produce a pretty long article about it actually. <laughs> um, so happy with that out good. So, you know, getting a little bit more into the weeds of the article, you know, as you were talking to people, whether it was at USL or Major League Soccer, what's the impression so far of USL League One? Obviously, a new league. We're barely halfway through the season. Uh, There's, you know, finally a little bit of disparity between, they say, the top and the bottom of the league, but there's this very, very close middle. Um, Is there, you know, is there any discussion about, you know, so far what uh, the league is or is, is it? people still trying to understand what it's trying to become? I think people are still trying to understand it a little bit, but obviously, obviously folks have thoughts, right? Um, I mean, the general consensus, and this will shock approximately no one, um, is that it's a lower level than the championship. Um, you know, a good place potentially to get experience for some of your young guys in the academy if you're an MLS team, um, but not quite as high a level um, as the championship. So there are a couple of schools of thought. 
with that and how it relates to, to MLS teams. Obviously, they see their USL sides as kind of a bridge between the academy and the first team. And there's some thought that having that bridge be in the championship is better, right? You're competing typically against older players, higher level players. Um, and you're, if you're thrown into that environment, maybe you grow a little bit quicker, you develop a little bit faster. Um, the other kind of school of thought is, well, if you're throwing 16, 17-year-olds into that environment and they're getting crushed, um, maybe that's detrimental. And maybe it's better to have them in League One where they can com- compete um, on a more kind of even playing field, even if it's not quite as much of a challenge. It's still challenging enough, and maybe they learn how to win, and maybe there's some value there. So different teams kind of have different opinions on it. Um, a lot of the ones that are in the USL championship, um, I can say pretty confidently they, they want to stay there. Um, but I'm sure some of them would be okay with moving down, and um, we'll just have to see how it shakes out. So in your discussions, one of the things that you mentioned both in the article but and also with, with Phil Lest on Saturday was it seems like Major League Soccer wants to keep everyone together, all the two teams together at the same level. But there's already three two, MLS two teams in USL League One. So was that something that they had to run by the MLS owners or, or Major League Soccer? Like, you know, so it seems strange that, that you're able to have some of these teams either self-relegate in, in the like OCB did or start in league one like north texas whereas you know all these other teams are in the championship um you know i'm not exactly sure of the process there um but you know in terms of having teams in league one and the championship now obviously league one's a new thing i don't know how long this discussion has been going on in terms of dropping usl championship clubs that are owned by mls clubs into league one i don't know how long that conversation's been happening it might predate even the announcement of North Texas or TFC2 Orlando into League One. So if this was the idea before that happened, um, then it would make sense, right? Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the, the timing of the discussion. So can't say confidently. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, just for me, just a, being a little bit opinionated here, it seems strange that that MLS or or even USL would want everyone to come down and not not some kind of self-relegation. I mean, similar to what happened with OCB and and certainly some, you know, non non MLS two teams did like Richmond, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's something that still needs to be worked out. I think I made clear in the piece, and, and USL will be fine. I think with the split, you know, if if there are MLS two teams that are doing well off the field, they're making a solid effort off the field and have good facilities and are run professionally. I think USL will be fine um, with them staying in the championship. If not, if they don't meet those standards, then then they want them in League One. And I think USL would be okay with the split. You know, I think there is a school of thought in MLS that that they want them all to be in the same bucket. But again, that's not. You know, none of this is really set in stone yet. So um, that might change. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it works out. Yeah, that seems weird from the Major League Soccer perspective because if Major League Soccer teams, if they're using this more as a platform to get people up, then obviously they want a higher level. So I'm thinking like the Red Bulls. But there still are some teams that seem to be okay with only having a few people from their academy uh, percolate up, but they still are willing to be buyers um, in the open market. And uh, maybe by doing something like uh, like having that split and maybe having some some you know lower division team uh, two teams in the lower divisions they'd be willing to maybe buy a championship player or two that that winds up being developed there as well so that still seems like it's it, it's a little bit short sighted I think maybe of MLS if if they actually uh, hardline about having everyone in the same in the same league. Yeah, you know I think we'll see. I I, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm sure MLS has the reasons for wanting to keep everybody in the same league, right? There are a lot of implications with this in terms of how it might affect MLS Academy teams on the U19 level, 
right? So if everyone drops into League One, then maybe everyone in MLS gets rid of their U19s academy teams and just builds right from U17s into League One, and they can they do the development pathway that way. Um, so there are a lot of implications, and MLS likes to be uniform with these sorts of things. Um, so you know, for whatever reason, for better or worse, that's one school of thought within the league. Well, again, we'll see if it shakes out. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because there were players from North Texas and from and Toronto who actually went out to the academy uh, finals out in California and didn't play with their League One teams. So there, you know, was still some back and forth and and loans down in a way yeah, back to the that academy. Happens, that happens with championship teams too, um, that are MLS two teams where they have academy kids. Um, play primarily in USL, but also occasionally play with the uh, play with their age group youth team too. Yeah, so which obviously is maybe one of the reasons why you know some independent teams and supporters of independent teams don't don't necessarily like having all the two teams in the championship, just because you don't know what the roster is going to be of some of those two teams on a minute to minute basis. Um, moving on to the attendance issue, because that seems to be something that a lot of people, at least fans and, and some of the owners of uh, USL cha- independent USL championship clubs, seem to care about. You know, when I did an article on BGN.FM looking at the attendance of, say, Barcelona 2 when they were in the second division in Spain versus, you know, other teams. And, and they had, you know, very low attendance compared to the independent teams, but they had about 4% of the attendance of Barcelona's A-team. Interestingly, that's almost exactly the same as the New York Red Bulls, too, had last year in 2018 compared to the senior team. Is is the, the draw of of fans, I mean, how big of an issue is that really? Or is it more, is it just an optics issue? Or is it something that, that they're worried about the revenue of these clubs? I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the reason for the angst over the, the disparity in uh, attendance. Yeah, I mean, I think it's mostly just the optics. I don't think they're so concerned about the revenue. I mean, the MLS teams that own the teams certainly aren't concerned about it, right? Um, but yeah, I think it's just the optics. In USL, I think the main thing that I got out of re- reporting the story from the USL side of things is they just want to kind of raise the standards for the championship. They want it to be a viable second division league um, globally. And in order to do that, they feel like they need to kind of get some of these reserve teams who might not be putting many resources, whether that's within facilities or with business staff or soccer side staff or whatever, whatever it may be, they need to get some of those teams um, out of the championship because they feel like those, those teams are maybe uh, deterring them from, from hitting their ceiling as a second division. And that's not just the MLS two teams. That's potentially including some independent championship teams. You know, we've seen, um, a few of them already uh, make the drop, or not not quite already, but you have Rochester and Penn FC going to be in League One next year after being championship teams for a long time, and then obviously Richmond is already there um, after being in, in, in Maine USL for, for years and years. Um, so it doesn't just apply to the MLS teams, but they want to raise the standard overall of the league, and you need to be able to kind of hit certain benchmarks and really show that you're making an effort um, to make inroads in your own community, um, and to be the best soccer club you can be. And if you're a reserve team, um, kind of by your very nature, you're probably not going to be doing that. So one of the things that, that you seem to discuss when, when you talk to Phil is about ProRel, because a lot of the comments about this story on social media or on The Athletic um, uh, for your on your story was that, you know, hey, there's a simple answer here. It's ProRel. If teams do well, then they should be in the championship. If they don't put the effort in to, to stay up, then they should be in League One. 
is is that something that you know that doesn't seem to be something that's likely to happen immediately but is that something that the usl seems to be thinking about long term i know jake edwards the president of usl has mentioned something like that that you need to have kind of this full pyramid in order to have ProRel. Uh, is that something that you got the impression that they're thinking about in, in the longer term or would um, MLS two I, teams I be excluded? I didn't one way or the other, but it wouldn't shock me if USL eventually moved to some sort of closed ProRel uh, between League One and the championship. I'm not sure what form that would take. It also wouldn't shock me if there was maybe some uh, interleague play or some sort of cup competition maybe. Um, between League One and the championship down the road, especially as League One continues to grow. Um, but we'll see about that. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I don't know if they're moving that way or not. Um, but, you know, in my own personal opinion, I wouldn't be shocked uh, to kind of see that be uh, be part of the end game here. Yeah, I guess part of that has to do with things like expansion fees or, or uh, you know, league fees. H- have the MLS two teams paid those? Is it something that, or, or when no, they joined, did no, they, they not? Were not? They were not made to pay those. Um, and I'm not sure the exact reasoning on that. I mean, I would imagine a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of these MLS2 teams joined um, in like 2015-ish, um, back when USL kind of needed a little bit more of a boost, a little bit more of a leg up than they do currently. Um, the MLS2 teams added some legitimacy, um, probably made it easier for USL to go out and attract other investment from independent teams and prospective independent owners. Um, so they did not have to pay those expansion fees. Um, and of course, I'm sure the partnership between USL and MLS uh, played a role in that as well. Sure. And your best guess, you know, this has been something that, that you know, you guys brought up when, when you talked to Phil and, and you mentioned in your article as well. But Rio Grande and, uh, and also Reno 1868, they're uh, kind of hybrid affiliate teams. Is, yeah. it, it seems to me that, that there's a simple way that they could, you know, not have to drop down to League One. They could just basically become fully independent instead of having their rosters controlled by an MLS club. Um, they could go to be independent, which from a fan perspective might be a good thing too, because then they'd be U.S. Open Cup eligible as well. Um, do, do you know is there is there any thought from you know people in and around those organizations about how they would like to see something like this happen, even even if all the MLS two teams did have to drop down? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure how the people inside those organizations feel. I mean, I'm sure the MLS teams, Houston and San Jose, I'm sure those two teams involved would like to continue those partnerships. Um, you know, we'll see. I know. USL would probably be fine with that arrangement as well, um, just given that both teams are, you know, independently run on the business side of things and are incentivized fully to, to try and get out there and sell tickets and, and make a dent and, and be a real part of their community. Um, so I'm sure from their perspective, it would be fine. I think that one is going to probably come down to MLS and how they rule on it, right? So if you're another MLS 2 team, like, say, Portland Timbers 2, Seattle, or Tacoma Defiance, Real Monarchs, and you're being made to move down, and you're losing the benefits um, of being, of having a team in the USL championship, you know, you might try and take San Jose and, and, and Houston with you, right? Because why should they get that added advantage if you can't? Um, so that I, we'll see how that one plays out. As far as I know, that's still up in the air. Um, that's going to be discussed and, and we'll see how it goes. But um, as far as I know, that's, that's very much still undecided. And finally, you know, this is a, uh, you know, kind of a, another tangent, but you, you got, you and Phil talked about facilities and, and, you know, particularly things like game day facilities. 
one of the things, and, and I don't know if you caught this, but there was a game that Bethlehem Steel played in where they played at, at a, a third site where there weren't appropriate locker rooms even for halftime talks. And so the, the uh, visiting team actually wound up coming out and, and standing next to the bleachers in order to have their halftime talk. So is there an idea about, um, you know, USL, I guess they would have to change their standards. So something that, that you noted and, and I agree with is that there should be, you know, similar standards for everyone. But it seems like for MLS two teams, that's difficult because if like there's an attendance standard, then almost all of them would have to move down except for a, a handful. But then if there's if it's only a performance standard, then, you know, you, you'd only have maybe three or four teams that would actually stay up. So and if you have a closed system, that's that's hard to do without ProRel. Is there a kind of a, a single standard you think USL wants to have? Um, so I don't think it's like a single standard in terms of attendance or performance or anything. I think it's all of it. And, and really what it comes down to a lot of is making the effort. You know, there are certain games and certain teams that you're not going to draw for for whatever reason, right? Um, but if you're really staffed up and you're devoting resources to doing well on the field and off the field, um, then, you know, that's all really the, that the championship folks want or the USL wants from their championship teams. And if you're not going to make those efforts or in, in those investments, um, then they would prefer to have you in the well, which makes sense from their perspective. Um, so it, I don't think it's any one thing they're looking at. I think it's a combination of pretty much everything that goes into running a soccer team. Um, so, yeah, they just want to raise the standards broadly. Um, and, you know, how that looks like specifically in terms of, hey, you need to hit this benchmark for points or attendance or you know, signed players versus academy players or whatever it is. Um, I'm not sure of those specifically. I don't think USL is sure of those quite yet all the way. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a broad raising of the standards as opposed to any just one thing in particular. Right. And even though they were talking about having all this happen by 2021, uh, you know, that obviously there's issues that have to be, I guess, ironed out over the next year. So at so next week at the All-Star, MLS All-Star game, there's going to be all the league meetings. Is the idea maybe to hash this out over the next year or do they want to have uh, the timeline for this kind of set in, in the relatively near term? Um, I would imagine they would want to get it done sooner rather than later. Um, but that being said, especially from the MLS side of things, they kind of have some bigger priorities on the table right now in terms of expansion and all of that good stuff. Um, so we'll see if they get to it at their board of governors meeting that's going to be in Orlando um, alongside the USL board or USL league meetings rather. Um, that I'm not sure. I, I would expect it to be discussed. I don't expect it to be resolved, but, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, stranger things have happened and you know they're not uh, they're not they're not advertising what's on the agenda for those meetings so uh, <laughs> who's, who's really to say at this point and si- since this does affect some of the teams that uh, that are in USL League one y- you mentioned uh, you, uh, can we pivot a little bit to your story about uh, MLS teams selling in the in the summer window so so that's a lot of homegrown players and obviously some of those homegrown players are being built you know guys like Ricardo Pepe and guys like you know Jordan Perusa who I don't know if you know him but uh, he's one of my favorite strikers now in USL League One you know these guys are all you know homegrown talents of, of MLS teams so yeah, can you talk a little bit about you know just preview that that article a little bit and then I'll encourage everyone to go on to your go on to the athletic and and look up that article as well yeah, sure. So it was just kind of about, you know, MLS, Don Garber, Commissioner Don Garber has said in the past that he wants MLS to be more of a selling league. 
Um, obviously, throughout its history, MLS hasn't been much of a selling league. That's starting to change. Um, but really, the best time to sell players in the, in the world market is now, is in the summer window. Um, there are more teams buying. Um, there are more teams. Those teams are tending to buy more players. Um, so, you know, the market's more robust. There's more money um, than there is in, in January. Um, having said that, obviously, MLS teams have the, the difficulty of selling now that they're in the middle of their seasons. And if they sell one of their better players, well, then, you know, you might be running into trouble uh, <laughs> with making the playoffs or making a run for trophies. So it's, it's kind of navigating that and finding the balance between it. And one of the big ways you can do that and kind of alleviate any potential pain is by having that robust academy. So Dallas, who have North Texas SC and all those players that you just mentioned, uh, you know, they sold Carlos Grezo, an Ecuador national team midfielder who had been with them for the last, oh, geez, three plus seasons um, to Augsburg in the Bundesliga a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they don't have to worry about going out and finding a replacement for him because they have three or four midfielders who are from their academy. So Paxton Paul McCall, Brandon Cervania, Edwin Cerillo, uh, to name a few. And then a couple of other guys, DP and Brian Acosta and Ja'Cory Hayes, who's in his third year out of Wake Forest, who they feel comfortable with in that area of the field. Um, and so with three of those five guys being from the academy, that obviously kind of shows you the importance. And then there's the flip side of the equation, right? You have a team like Houston. They have Albert Ellis and Mauro Minotas, who they could probably sell for – more than, Dallas, more than Dallas sold Dreza for, which is four and a half million um, tomorrow if they wanted to, I would imagine. And, but they don't really have an, a robust academy at all to speak of. And they would have a harder time replacing either of those guys um, because of that. They would have to go out and sign somebody new. Um, and so, you know, that's just, that's part of the equation at work here. And if MLS is going to be a selling league, it's going to have to mature in those other ways. So you can sell players in the summer without having too much of a drop off um, for your first team results and your hopes for the rest of the season. That's great. Sam, thank you very much. Where can people contact you and interact with you in social media? Yeah, so I'm just on Twitter, uh, Sam Stasekel, S-T-E-J-S-K-A-L. So I'm on there a lot, probably too much. Um, But you can find my stuff there and, and get at me there if you feel so inclined. Great. Thanks very much, Sam. And uh, we hope to have you on the show again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, and much more. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. 